Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Coffee's in there. You go. Coffee's in there. Is it getting warmer outside? Any? No, not really. Okay. It was cold this morning. I'm from Wisconsin, and all of my all my stout jeans are gone. I'm a wimp. I was wearing. I needed gloves this morning. That's how desperate I am. Welcome to Warehouse, everybody. I'm Mark Dickman. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad you're here. We're continuing our series called The Kingdom of Me today. And we're going to look at a very challenging bit of Scripture today from the life and teaching of Jesus that uh, I think promises to make us uncomfortable, but hopefully uncomfortable in the best of ways. Uh, here's the deal about where we're going with this series. Uh, we'll you know, lay our cards on the table. We're a, a Christian church, and so the things that we do, the teaching and, and the ministry that we have here orbits around the message of who Jesus is. We believe that life and fullness uh, and purpose is found in Jesus, and that's why we're here on Sunday. And so every week we, we look at, um, in this series, we've been looking at this idea of Jesus' predominant teaching message in his ministry was this idea of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. We'll use those phrases interchangeably. When Jesus burst onto the scene and, and announced the beginning of his rabbinic teaching, it was... It was about the kingdom of heaven. And throughout the writings of, or throughout the teachings of Jesus, we hear this theme over and over again about what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And we've been captivated by this thesis by a professor named Dallas Willard who said, the competition for the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of me. And that's the first person singular that so often we get in the way of God's kingdom advancing in our lives and in the world. And so today, we're going to be looking at what it means, what it looks like to follow, and why for so many of us it's difficult to do that. And the band has dug up a song, a classic song that will be familiar to many of you, that will put a smile on your face, and it'll take you back, and it's a very insightful and it's a very profound song, because at its core, it's exposing this reality of the kingdom of me that we kind of don't want to follow anybody or anything. Because if it were up to us, we know what's best anyway. So join us as we shine a light at exposing the kingdom of me. Welcome to Warehouse. Good to see some smiles on your face as they played that song. But it's true, isn't it? We really think we know better. And following anyone or anything, especially for many of the generations represented in this room, is exceedingly difficult. And in every, in every facet of life, we see how this kind of plays itself out. I mean, there are wonderful and amazing and brilliant things that happen because of social media and because of YouTube and because of Twitter and because of blog sites. I mean, it's incredible the power that's being distributed. But there is a dark side to that, is there not? That, in fact, we can think that we're really the leaders worth following. And the dark side toward that is we can really slip down the slope toward narcissism really quickly in the, into the kingdom of me. I think that was one of the brilliant points made in the movie Bruce Almighty. Right? Because how many of us in this room have thought that, that God just doesn't know how to run the universe? 
And then if we're up to us, we do things a lot different because we know better. And a lot of us have been taught that we know better. And there's a challenge there, and there's a point of tension as we look at the teaching of Jesus as it pertains to the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to dive into this tension today as we look at something that Jesus is going to challenge us with very directly in John chapter 14, verse 15. We're just going to plant the seed right here where Jesus says, If you love me, you'll obey what I command. And here we have this theme that's emerging now of obedience. Obedience. That's a hard word for a lot of folks in this room. Now, for many of us, we hear the word obedience, and if you have a dog, you like obedience. You may have even taken your dog to obedience school, right? That's good. Uh, You may even say, it's okay, it's good to obey the law. Not in the car, but, you know, I, I'm a, I obey the law. And if I were to scan the room, I would imagine there's at least three different types of response toward the idea of obedience. If you're at all like me, you're probably a pretty compliant person. And so the idea of obedience, in general, is pretty easy. I mean, my grandparents and mom are here. Ask them. I was a good kid. I, I say this without any boasting. This is just my personality type. I've never done drugs. And you know why? In seventh grade, in Butler Middle School, Waukesha, Wisconsin, Mr. Weisjohn said, don't do drugs. And I said, okay. <laughs> Next topic, please. I mean, he had good reasons, and I wrote down all these notes and so forth, but... Really, that was enough for me. And some of you can relate. Yeah, I'm kind of like that. And some of you, when I said that, it was as if I just grew four heads. (laughs) Because for some of you, you hear obedience and you're like, whoa. You say left, I'm going right. You say up, I'm going down. You say it's black, I think it's white. And again, that, that may just be some of your personality type. Some of you identify with that. And then there may be a third group of people, and there may be more differentiations or more categories, but maybe there's a third group of people in the room who are like, I'll call you the value proposition people. You'll obey if there's something in it for you. You know, you do the cost-benefit, and if if it's worthwhile, you'll you'll do it. But you've got to prove it. So we're going to come... You, we're going to come to a, a text today from the Bible, and my challenge to you is however you identify, whatever those three categories are, maybe you're a hybrid, I want you to put yourself in this story this morning, a story about obedience, and see what God has to say in and through the story that we're going to explore today. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 5 if you'd like to follow along. We will have it on the screens as well, and if you have your handheld device with you, you can call up Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And here's the story. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Washing their nets, basically, after after you've been done fishing, you kind of 
take out the guck of the nets, uh, fix, repair what needs to be fixed, and basically hang the nets on, outside so they can dry so they're ready for the next time you go fishing. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So here's this image. Um, Crowd's packing in, so Jesus says, well, I'll kind of just use my podium or my lectern from the water. Peter, I'll need your boat for it. And when he had finished speaking from the water, he he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. I want to stop there for a second. Some of us here fishermen are fishing, and we have in mind the kind of the quaint notion of taking our fishing pole and putting a worm on the hook and putting the bobber and casting it into the water and waiting for the bluegill to take the worm, and yay, happy times fishing. And that's good, but that's not at all what we're talking about here. There, this means of fishing or this method of fishing is still, uh, it's modernized a bit, but still, even right now in the world, there are people fishing for all sorts of things using the classic net approach. And in this day, it was a big round net with weights on the outside. And the fishermen would go out in their boats and they'd throw the net into the water and the weights would bring the, the net down and then they'd wait for a while and then they'd pull the net up. Now, I gave a version of this talk to, uh, in a chapel service to elementary school kids a couple of weeks ago and I'll ask you the same question that I asked them. When you put something in the water, does it tend to get lighter or heavier? Yeah, it gets heavier. So now... Put yourself in Peter's shoes. This is what it means to be a blue-collar fisherman in this time. They're, uh, they go to their boats late at night. It's dark. And they go into the water. And they fish all night. Throwing this net into the water. Waiting for a while. Pulling it up. And it's heavy. And it gets heavier each time you pull it up because they've been working hard all night. And this is an example of a classic case study in a bad day at the office. Because the message paraphrase is this. They didn't catch a thing, not even a minnow, not so much as even a minnow. Working all night, early into the morning, and they have nothing to show for their work. Now, how are you going to be feeling? At the very least, you're exhausted because you've been casting with your friends or with your coworkers this big net into the water. You've got nothing to show for it. And then here Jesus comes along, and you're, you know, honestly, you've got your boats on the shore, and probably Peter and his buddies are just saying, you know, we kind of just want to go home. It's been a long night. And then Jesus says, no, I, I want you to, I'm going to need to borrow your boat. And then, oh, by the way, I need you to, um, need you to, Throw your nets in the water. Go into deeper water, and let's try this one more time. Now keep in mind, Jesus was not a fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter. So this is a carpenter telling a fisherman how to do their job. And Peter, at the very least, maybe he's annoyed, but at the very least, he's exhausted. And here comes along Jesus, 
asking him to do something when he's dog-tired and maybe even frustrated, maybe even annoyed. Master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything, not even a minnow. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And now here is a response of obedience. Because you say so, I'll do it. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They signaled to their partners, James and John, and the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled their boats, uh, both boats so full that they began to sink. Now picture this. One last time, they go into deeper water. They throw the nets over the side. It's deep. You can't, it's not like fishing in a barrel. You can't see the fish. The nets go down. You can't see what's at the bottom of the lake. And they wait. And they start to pull up the net. And they notice that the net this time is a lot heavier. And they pull. And they pull. And they keep pulling. And picture this image as they get this net to the boat. The fish that they're fishing for, if you were to go to the um, Sea of Galilee today, uh, the merchants are more than happy to serve you the fish uh, that come from this lake. It's kind of a tilapia-like fish. They call it St. Peter's fish. It's quite tasty, actually. Uh, But it's a tilapia-sized fish. And they pull the nets, and these fish start dumping over into the boat. And you know, when fish come in out of the water, they don't just sit there. They're flipping and flopping all over the place, and they just keep coming. So much so that their boat starts to sink. James and John bring their boat over. They help them, and their boat starts to sink. This is incredible. Look at, what, look at what's happening. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Notice his response. Not, whoa, Jesus, good trick. Neat. Not, this is going to buy us a lot of stuff. We made a killing today. This is awesome. We thought we were done. And look at all the, this is great. Thanks, Jesus. Well done. He sees the miraculous catch of fish and his knees buckle and he falls down at Jesus' feet and says, away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. This is the starting point of a man leaving the kingdom of me. He had already seen Jesus. He had had interactions with Jesus before. But this is the moment in time where Peter leaves the kingdom of me and takes that step toward the kingdom of heaven. And it starts with a confrontation with God. And we see this throughout the Bible. Whether it's Isaiah in the Old Testament or Job from the Old Testament of the Bible or here Jesus or here Peter in his confrontation with Jesus. They confront the living God 
and they are devastated. They fall to their knees, as Peter does here. And that's the stu- this is where the gospel starts. And this is where we move into the kingdom of heaven, when we recognize our own profound inadequacy, our own deep sinfulness, and how unworthy we are to be in the very presence of God. And I acknowledge the fact that when we talk about sin and sinfulness, being a sinner, I know that those terms come with a lot of baggage for some of you. I know that some of you have grown up in church experiences where you're a recovering church attender because you've grown up in church where the word sin and sinner and sinfulness, they have been beaten over your head. People have abused that word, and some of you are still wounded from things that you've heard growing up about sin and sinfulness. And I have no idea, and I'm sorry. And others of you are maybe a little tweaked that we'd be talking about sin in church. Because some of you have grown up through high school and into college at university where you've been taught that sin is an antiquated, puritanical notion that Christians invented to kind of use as a power play to keep people, to subjugate people. And if we could only kind of move past this outdated notion of sin that we could be, that we can move to a better society. But what's interesting is when we scan the pages of, of our news feeds and we look at what's happening in the world, how do we explain the awful stuff that's happening in the world today? How do we explain the Muammar Gaddafis? How do we explain the Bernie Madoffs? How do we explain the darkness in our own heart? The things that we find ourselves thinking and saying when no one's around. The Bible calls that sin. And make no mistake about it, to take that step from the kingdom of me to embrace the gospel of Jesus and to take that step from the kingdom of me into the kingdom of heaven isn't simply saying, okay, fine, I'm not perfect. Fine, I'm not as bad as those people. But sure, I could use a little help. And if Jesus can help me, fine. You know, I'll take all the help I can get. What's it going to hurt? That's still two feet in the kingdom of, of me. Repentance is the confrontation that Peter has with Jesus where he's undone and he falls to his knees and he says, away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Notice the gospel here because Peter is on his knees. And notice what Jesus is about to say because this is the perfect moment for Jesus to say, you're right, you are a sinful man. You didn't want to take your boat out and yet you did. You didn't trust me that I, a little carpenter, knew how to catch fish. And I could tell you about all the things you did yesterday too, Peter. You have no idea how sinful you are. Let me tell you how happy you should be to be in my presence. How I blessed you with all these fish. No. Look at what Jesus says. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Peter confronts Jesus. He's undone. He acknowledges his own sinfulness. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. 
rise. We've got somewhere to go. And we'll do it together. That's what Jesus calls us into. That's what moving from the kingdom of me to the kingdom of heaven looks like. That's what the gospel is all about. It starts with God. His initiating love, his extravagant love. We come to terms with our own sin. We're undone by our sin. And Jesus, in his love and his tenderness and grace, says, don't be afraid. Rise. We've got someplace to go. And all of Peter's hard work as a fisherman, and all of James and John's hard work as a fisherman, their, their work ethic is going to be put to the test as they now are fishermen in the kingdom of heaven. They leave their nets behind. They're not taking their nets and capturing people in the kingdom of heaven and dragging them in. No, this is an invitation where they now are aligning their lives as disciples, as followers of Jesus, into an adventure that's far bigger than they could ever imagine. And here's the simple truth of this story, friends. When we obey Jesus, he gives us more than we could ever imagine. It's really true. When we obey Jesus, he gives us more than we could ever imagine. Peter just wanted to catch some fish. He had no idea that fishing could look like this. And in that moment of this incredible catch of fish, where his financial week was about to change, suddenly it paled in comparison to something far greater. He left the fish, he left the boats, he left the nets behind, and he followed Jesus. And that's what he calls us into. See, Jesus doesn't promise to give us what we want. Well, maybe he does sometimes. But that's not the invitation. Jesus promises to give us what we need. And I know that there are many of you here today who question the goodness of God. Because your life, right now you're wrestling with the reality of, if I only had fill in the blank, then I'd be happy. If I only had that, and I'm praying for whatever that is, and God doesn't give it to me, and I wonder if God's still good. And I'm here to tell you that I don't know if God will give you whatever that is. But I do believe that God will give you more than you could ever ask for. Because what, what, what God wants to do in your life and mine is not so much give us his stuff, but he wants to give us himself. If we go back to the passage from John that we started with, and Bruce is going to expand on this some more next week, but notice what Jesus says toward the very end of his teaching ministry when things are about to come to a close. He says, If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever the spirit of truth. Counselor, it's a difficult word to translate. It's counselor or advocate or comforter, but this is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promises, I will never leave you alone because I will give you what you need and what you need is God. And I promise that the Holy Spirit will come if you make that decision when you confront me to repent of your sin, I will raise you up, I will lift you up, and I will give you God, the Holy Spirit. 
And as we've been talking about in the last couple weeks of this series and even the previous series, there's this wonderful promise that God, by His Holy Spirit, makes that if you and I, by a simple act of faith, say, and if we approach each new day with the reality of open-handed saying, God, what do you have in store for me today? I choose to put my life in the kingdom of heaven. What are you going to accomplish in and through me today? In and through a broken person like me today, what are you going to do? And Jesus promises, oh, the places will go. He will give you more than you could ever imagine. He'll give you people. He'll give you circumstances that will challenge and stretch you. But in those moments, he'll meet you there. And he'll give you more than you could ever ask for. And he promises to meet your needs every day as you trust him with that. That's what it's like to live in the kingdom of heaven. But there's one other thing that we need to talk about. If you love me. See, if we fast forward in the life of Peter, toward the very end of Jesus' own life, Jesus was preparing for his last conversations with his closest friends. And Peter, who had known and seen and experienced things that blew his mind, was so captivated by Jesus and so loyal to Jesus that he said, Jesus, it doesn't, you, you talk about things getting tough. It doesn't matter, Jesus. I'm with you to the very end. Nothing can stop my allegiance and my commitment and my love for you. Nothing. And Jesus says, Peter, three times you're going to deny me. Peter says, no way. Jesus says, yes, three times you will deny that you even know me. And sure enough, darkness descends in Jerusalem. And because of the claims that he made of his own divinity, Jesus, arrested by the religious establishment on charges of blasphemy, on charges of equating himself with God, brought before the religious high council, and darkness descends as Peter watches from a distance as Jesus is brutally treated, verbally brutalized, physically brutalized by a lynch mob that stirs up against him. And Peter sees all this happening from a distance, and Peter is scared for his life. And on three different occasions, seeing this all happen from a distance as Jesus is alone, totally victimized, totally brutalized, three different times people say, hey, wait a second, you look familiar. You're one of his followers, aren't you? No, I'm not. No, 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 no. We saw you re- just recently with him. Your voice, your accent gives you away. You're one of his followers. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And Jesus promised that after that third betrayal, the rooster would crow. And that would be the reminder that Jesus was telling the truth and that Peter, in fact, betrayed him. And after that third, just as Jesus predicted, after that third denial, the rooster crows. And one of the writers of the gospel say, at that moment, Peter's eyes caught Jesus' eyes from a distance. Jesus looked straight at Peter. And Peter stared into the eyes of his Lord and Master who he betrayed three times. And he was undone. And he runs away, weeping bitterly, because he had betrayed him three times, just as Jesus said. 
And Jesus is tortured. He's killed. And he's set in a grave. But because not even death could hold him down, and just as he said he would, Jesus rises from the grave three days later. And his closest friends see him, and even Peter gets a look at the empty tomb. And over the period of 40 days, Jesus appears to his followers, these resurrection appearances. And it's a little unsettling for the followers, the closest followers of Jesus, because they know that the tomb is empty. They know that Jesus is raised from the dead, but they don't quite know what to do yet. They're kind of in this limbo place of what do we do now? Because Jesus is, kind of makes these appearances and then he kind of vanishes. And Peter doesn't know what to do. So the gospel writer John says this. Peter didn't know what to do, so he said, I'm going to go fish. So Simon Peter told his friends, and they said, hey, we'll go with you, about six of the other disciples. So they went out and got into a boat, and they went to that same lake. Late at night, into the early morning, guess how much they caught? Nothing. Now notice the tender, winsome grace of Jesus and the humor of Jesus. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't recognize that it was him. And Jesus called out, Hey, you guys caught anything? No. They answered. Throw your net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some there. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple who Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, It's the Lord. And Peter jumps in the water. The other disciples follow in the boat, pulling the large catch of fish. And they land on the shore, and they see a fire. And what's Jesus doing? He's making breakfast. And what's he making for breakfast? Fish. Fish and bread. He says, come on, guys, have something to eat. Bring some of your fish with us. And by the way, how many fish did you catch? Interesting. John says, 153. You don't make that stuff up. 153. And Jesus says, come and have breakfast. And they all knew that it was him. And then after that, Jesus goes to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah. No, no, no. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? For some of you today, the question before you is just that. You're a follower of Jesus. And what Jesus wants to ask you today is, do you love him? Not do you love his stuff. Not do you love it when everything's going well. Do you like it when he gives you everything you want? But no, no, no. Do you love him? Do you love him? Do you love him? Jesus says, if we obey him, 
We demonstrate our love. And for some of you, the question is simply this. You're here because you're curious, and you've got two feet in the kingdom of me. And the starting point for you is, have you been undone by Jesus? Are you ready to fall at his feet and admit that you don't just need a little bit of help, but that you need to come face to face with the reality of God. And you need to come face to face with the reality of your own sinfulness. And admit that if you stay in the kingdom of me, the reality of, the, of, of your own sin will keep you there and it will keep you with your head to the ground in shame because those times will come when you'll see the inadequacy of your leadership in your own little kingdom. And Jesus is offering you the opportunity to repent of that. And what he promises to do is to lift your head and say, don't be afraid. Follow me. We've got some place to go. And that's his invitation to you. Jesus never forces us. He never yanks us from one kingdom to the other. But he gives us the gift to choose. Are you ready to make that choice? And do you love him? Are you willing to obey him and trust that he'll give you more than you could ever imagine? Let's pray. Jesus, please meet us in this time. We know that uh, there is safety and security in the kingdom of me. But yet in our honest and reflective moments, we know that there's not real life there either. Keep us from staying, from staying stuck in the kingdom of me. Keep us from, with heads down in shame, realizing our own inadequacy. Give us the courage and the faith to cross that line, to repent before you and to say, I'm unworthy, away from me. Because when we do, you promise that with tender, gentle compassion, you'll lift us up and say, don't be afraid. And Jesus Show us what it means to love you. Not to love your stuff, not to, live what, not to love what you can give us, but show us what it means to love you. Show us what it means to fall in love with you. And as we respond with these songs now, give us full hearts to just sing out loud because we want what only you can provide. It's in your name we pray, amen.